So we're taking a look at Luke. We're looking at um, what Jesus said and what Jesus did so that we can obey him, so that we can become like him. Uh, the reason we're doing this is because over time, I told you, people, if you're heading down a course, over time you just have a tendency to sort of drift off course if you don't look back every once in a while and see where it was you were trying to go. And so this is, um, you know, if you're, if you're in the army or if you ever do like a map and compass, uh, you know that if you don't stop and check your heading every once in a while, you tend to drift off course. And so this is sort of a way for us just to check our heading and see, you know, is the direction we're going the way that our leader, who is Jesus, set us off as. Um, so the last few weeks, we were looking very specifically at Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. We did a little mini-series called Plain Truth. We looked at Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, how he said we ought to live, looked at his teaching there. In these next couple of weeks, we're going to jump back into the Follow Me series as we follow Jesus into some of his interactions with a couple of different individuals. Uh, and in these, individu in these interactions with individuals, we're going to see how he put what he taught in the Sermon in the Plain into practice. He's going to show us what it looks like to actually live the way that he taught. Um, so we'll dive into Luke chapter 7 in just a second. Uh, but before we get there, I want you to just imagine something with me. Not imagine, I want you to think about uh, the last time you were amazed. When was the last time something really amazed you? Something caused you to be astonished or to wonder or to marvel? When was the last time you, just, you were just stopped in your tracks in amazement? Maybe it was something, you know, geographical. You went to the, the Grand Canyon and you were amazed at the geography of the Grand Canyon. Or you were amazed at a sunrise and you were just, you know, sort of stopped in your tracks. Um, maybe it was some sort of sports event. You just saw a, a sports player do some sort of feat that was amazing. Um, a lot of us were amazed when the uh, Patriots came back uh, in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl and won. Not necessarily in a good way, but still amazed. Like, I can't believe that happened and sort of stopped in our tracks. So think about when was the last time you were amazed? What causes you to, to stop and to wonder and to marvel? Think about that for just a moment as you turn to Luke chapter 7 in your Bibles. Luke chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put the verses up here on screen. And I want you to hold on to that, that feeling of amazement for just a moment. We're going to come back to that in a little bit, okay? So here's how Luke chapter 7 begins. Luke tells us, when Jesus had finished saying all of this to the people who were listening, he's talking about the sermon he just finished up preaching, the Sermon on the Plain. When he was finished speaking, he entered Capernaum. Capernaum was a town in northern Galilee. It's where Jesus spent a lot of his time. It may have been where he lived. It was a, a port city on the Sea of Galilee. A lot of, inner, a lot of things happened in Capernaum. It's where he spent a lot of his time, did a lot of his ministry. So he goes into town, into Capernaum. It says, There a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. So the first thing that should catch our attention in this particular passage is the reference to the centurion. A centurion was a Roman soldier who was in charge of a hundred other soldiers. Centur, you know, from the Latin meaning hundred, a centurion was in charge of a hundred other soldiers. So he was a, a Roman soldier. Now, one of the things I want you to keep in mind here is remember that the Romans at this particular time in history were occupying Judea. They were oppressing Judea. And for a good God-fearing Jew who had read their, you know, we call it the Old Testament, they just called it the Bible. For a good God-fearing Jew who had read their Bible, to have a foreign 
country occupying your nation was, was just simply unacceptable. It was a sign of God's judgment. It was a sign that something was wrong. It was unacceptable for the Jews to have somebody occupying their country. So um, in this particular case, to talk about a centurion, a Roman soldier, would have brought up a lot of negative feelings in the minds of a lot of the first century Jews during that time. Because not only were the Romans occupying, but these were the Roman soldiers. These were the people who were put in place to, to keep any rebellion or any insurrection from happening. The reason that the, the soldiers are here in this town is because if there was any sort of revolt, which... Uh, the Romans were afraid that the Jews might do in that time period. If there was any kind of revolt, the soldiers were there to put it down. Um, so mix this with the fact that within that, there were a lot of Jews during that time who believed that the, when the Messiah came, the Messiah was this deliverer that they believed that God was going to send to, to free them from foreign oppression, who was going to throw off the, the shackles of bondage, who was going to restore Israel to its former greatness, break off all of the oppression and the occupation from any foreign country. So that's what these, these Jews are believing that this Messiah is going to do when he comes. They believe that he's going to be this political military deliverer who's going to restore uh, Israel to its own nation without any foreign oppression, any foreign control. Uh, additionally, in the first century, there were these, this, this minority group of Jews known as the Zealots. The Zealots were uh, this group of people who believed that it was their job to take Israel back by force. Uh, so they were often known they would um, assassinate Romans in the streets. They would even assassinate Jews that they thought were too sympathetic to the Romans. They were, they were so zealous about their, their beliefs that they thought that it was important to kill anybody um, who, was, who was sympathetic with the Romans. And eventually they hoped to lead a rebellion against Rome. One of these zealots was actually one of Jesus' disciples. His name was... We can... Uh, sort of picture what, what Simon would have thought of when, when we hear this term centurion. For a, lot of, for a lot of first century Jews, if you said, tell me who your enemy is, for a lot of them, it would have been the Romans. They would have pictured a Roman, especially a Roman soldier, somebody who's there to, to keep the peace and put down any rebellion. And so this, this perceived enemy, so to speak, of many of the Jews is who comes to Jesus asking for help. You can imagine how some of them would have felt uh, when, when Jesus responds to this particular request from this particular person. Uh, one of the things I told you last week, um, and I believe this is true, God often gives us opportunities to practice what we've been studying and learning. I believe that's true. As I, as I study aspects of Scripture, I realize that God is giving me opportunities to put these things into practice so that what I'm learning doesn't just affect me here, but it affects me you know, in my heart and in my hands and in my actions. And so uh, one of the things that Jesus had just gotten done teaching his followers in the Sermon on the Plain was that they were supposed to love their enemies. And they were supposed to do good to those who hated them. So here's this opportunity as they're going into Capernaum where this, this centurion, this enemy, who would have been perceived as an enemy to especially the zealots, but a lot of the, the religious people of the time, comes to Jesus asking for help, asking for Jesus to heal his, his servant. And so his followers now are going to watch Jesus. As, as Jesus just got done teaching, you ought to love your enemies, and they're going to watch what Jesus does here. So let's continue on with the story. It says, when they, these are the elders of the Jews that the, uh, that the centurion had sent to Jesus, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and our synagogue. And that, so that ought to get our attention, you know, so we see 
who, this person who's supposed to sort of be the enemy of the Jews, now we have these elders of the Jews saying, this guy's actually pretty good. Uh, he, he's, he actually loves our nation. He's actually built us a synagogue. And now, we, you know, there's, there's lots of things we could read into this if we want to. Maybe he did this because he knows that that's the best way to keep the peace, right? If, if, he's, if he takes care of the people, then he's maybe going to prevent any sort of rebellion from coming up. Maybe, maybe the Jews are saying, hey, listen, he's been good to us and we want to keep it that way. So, Jesus, if you can scratch his back so that he scratches ours. You know, we don't know what the motivations are behind all of this. But we know that these Jews are saying, well, this is a, a pretty good He's a pretty good guy. Despite the fact that he's a Roman, despite the fact that he's a centurion, uh, he's a pretty good guy. Which leads me to my next point. Not everyone who looks like an enemy is an enemy. Right? Not everyone who looks like an enemy really is an enemy. And there's a lot of that going around even in our culture today. Sometimes we have a tendency to judge people by their looks or by their associations. Just because somebody looks like a Roman centurion who's the enemy of a lot of Jews doesn't necessarily mean that he is, doesn't necessarily mean that he harbors animosity or wants to hurt us. I think we see a lot of that with our, with our Muslim population and the way that we talk about that today. We talk about, you know, like all Muslims are bad when it's really just a very, very small percentage of extremists who, who cause any problems. We tend to group everybody together in one and we, we judge the whole group by the actions of a few. Not everybody who looks like an enemy is an enemy. Now, even still, that doesn't mean that we're only supposed to love people who look like enemies but, but really aren't. We're actually supposed to love the people who hate us. Um, but just because somebody looks like one doesn't mean they are. So moving on in the story, Luke tells us this. Says, so Jesus went with them. Jesus went with them. Now, this is a pretty big deal, right? Especially for someone like Simon the Zealot. Or especially for somebody who believes that the Messiah is here to lead a rebellion, Right? The, the Messiah who's going to raise up an army and overthrow Rome. Here we have Jesus, who, who we know is the Messiah, and he goes with them to heal the centurion's servant. Um, now we know that this guy, he, he loved the nation, he built them a synagogue. But don't make any mistake, if there was any kind of rebellion, he was going to do his job. And he was going to deploy soldiers to go and, and put down the rebellion, put down the insurrection. He may have been friendly for a time, but... When things came up, you, you better believe that when he, he was going to do his job, uh, if things came to it. So he's still, in that sense, an enemy to a lot of these Jews. He's still somebody who, when push comes to shove, he's going to be on the side of Rome and not on the side of Israel. And so for some of these Jews, no matter how nice of a guy you are as a Roman centurion, you're always going to be the enemy. And some of these guys are following Jesus. Some of these guys, like Simon, are following Jesus. Who, who, I don't care how nice he is. He's a Roman. He can't be here. And now you're watching your master go to this person with the intent to heal him. Um, but instead of going to lead a rebellion, he goes to heal. And so we're, we're, getting, we're getting another one of these hints, and we've seen so many of these hints so far, that Jesus is taking everything that we think we know about what the Messiah is supposed to do, this political military deliverer who's going to break the chains, and he takes it all and he flips it on its head and he turns it upside down. He's doing what nobody expects him to do, and he's putting into practice what he had just taught about loving his enemy. Continuing on, he says... He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. Now this is really interesting. Luke tells us, that the centurion begins by calling Jesus what? 
Lord. The centurion begins by calling Jesus Lord. Now, if you were uh, here last week, you'll remember, and if not, I'll tell you, what was the very last thing that Jesus closed his Sermon on the Plain talking about? It was Lordship. He just got done criticizing some of his followers for calling him Lord, but not doing what he said. Jesus taught that lordship brings about authority. If you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say, you're not really following me. And then the very next story we get is, is this centurion, this enemy, this outsider, who, who, who's not, who, who doesn't come from the line of the Jews, not part of, of you know, God's people, who calls Jesus Lord. Luke is showing us here that sometimes it's the outsider that gets it when the insider doesn't. The centurion begins by calling him Lord. And he demonstrates that he understands lordship in a way that some of Jesus' followers didn't understand. Some of Jesus' followers were calling him, oh, Lord, 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 but they weren't doing what he said. Here the centurion is saying, listen, I understand. I'm calling you Lord, and I understand what authority looks like. I understand what lordship looks like. Uh, you know, and I'm reminded that this still happens today. Sometimes there are still outsiders who get it more than insiders. I'm reminded of the story, you've maybe heard it, um, when the, uh, Gandhi was talking to the famous Christian missionary, E. Stanley Jones, and um, to paraphrase the conversation, something came up, e, you know, E. Stanley Jones said something about, um, you know, why aren't you a Christian or something like that, and Gandhi said, well, you know what, I like your Jesus. I like your Jesus. It's just that you Christians are nothing like him. You know, and I hear that a lot today. You know, uh, I, I like your Jesus, and I, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who say, you know what, I, I've read Scripture, I, I like Jesus, but, but I don't understand why, why these Christians are, are, are nothing like them and why they're supporting all of these ideas that, that Jesus never would have endorsed. Um, and so sometimes, Luke is showing us here that sometimes when the outsiders get it and the insiders don't, it's an indictment on the insiders. It's an indictment on the insiders when the outsiders get it and the insiders don't. I get that even now. I've got some atheist friends uh, who, who, you know, who, who don't believe, and they are displaying more compassion and, and, and more care and more concern for, for the people who um, are being hurt right now than, than some Christians. Um, no, you know, not in this room, but other associations that I have. Um, and, I, and I see that there are some atheists who are a lot more compassionate, a lot more caring than some Christians. And that's what Luke is showing us here. Sometimes the outsiders get it even more than the insiders. And, and that, that's, that would have been a little prick. That would have been a little insult, a little dig to some of the, uh, some of the people who are listening. So the centurion says, listen, I, I understand lordship. I understand authority. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. He goes on to say, for I myself am a, man, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one to go, and he goes, and to that one come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. I know what authority is. I've got people over me, I've got people under me, I know how this whole thing works. Lord Jesus, if you just say it, my servant will be healed. Going on, when Jesus heard this, he was what? He was amazed. He marveled. The Greek word thalmadso. He marveled. He wondered. He was utterly amazed at him. Jesus was amazed. So that brings up a question, right? What in the world could possibly amaze Jesus? Jesus often did things that amazed other people. Other people were, were often amazed at Jesus and the feats that he did and the things that he said. He often amazed other people, but he was very, very rarely 
amazed himself. What could amaze Jesus? What could amaze the Son of God, right? What could possibly cause Jesus to wonder and to marvel, especially at an outsider, at a perceived enemy of the Jewish people? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great what? Faith. I have not found such great faith even in Israel. So he turns to the people who are following him, right? These people are Jews. They're from Israel. And here we have this centurion, this Roman centurion, right? This enemy of Rome, this, the, no matter how nice he is, this, en- this person who's occupying Rome. And Jesus points to the, to the Jews, the people of Israel who've been following him. He says, I haven't found such great faith among any of you as I found in this outsider. I mean, imagine how insulting that would have felt to the people who were following him at the time. To the people who've been like, but, but Jesus, we're Jews. We've been going to synagogue our whole life. We, we grew up going to synagogue. We've memorized the Torah and you know, all of this stuff. And Jesus says, you know what? I haven't found such great faith among anyone in Israel as I found among this centurion outsider. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Jesus was amazed by the faith of a centurion. This is just another indication that, that Jesus' program is, it's, is bigger and it's wider than everyone expected. Everybody expected that when Jesus came, he was, all, he was going to be all about the insiders, all about the Jews. He was going to restore Israel to its former glory, and, and he was going to restore the, the kingdom to the Jews. And Jesus, you know, we're getting hints here and there as we go throughout the book of Luke that, that it's, it's bigger than that, and it's different than that, and it's upside down, and it's wider, and these people who we thought were enemies are now being brought in, and Jesus is praising the faith of somebody who's, who's not even in Israel, and it's confusing everybody. Jesus is up to something different. He's up to something bigger, and he's up to something different than anybody expected. Uh, so as I wrap up here, you know, conventional preaching wisdom says that you're only supposed to have one point when you preach. Uh, and I generally believe that that's true. Uh, you, you make one point, make it really well so everybody gets that point. But this particular passage is just, it's so good and it's so rich that I've got like five or six um, so maybe, maybe one of these will stick, but I just I couldn't leave any of them behind. So uh, here are a couple of the t- key takeaways I, I, wanna, I want you to get from this message. The first two are kind of a review. Uh, number one, God often gives us the opportunity to practice what we've been learning. God often gives us the opportunity to practice what we've been learning. Uh, so pay attention as you go throughout your days, you go throughout your week, pay attention. See if God's not giving you opportunities to practice uh, radical generosity towards people in need. See if God's not giving you opportunities to practice enemy love. Maybe it's that, that coworker that you just never get along with or that, that family member that you've had a feud with forever or, or whoever it may be. Maybe it's a Purdue fan. Um, you know, and God's asking you to show some love uh, in this particular way. Pay attention. God often gives you an opportunity to practice what you've been putting into uh, learning. Uh, number two, not everyone who looks like an enemy is, right? Let's, let's stop judging people by their looks and by their associations and just assume that because they look a certain way or because they act a certain way or because they're associated with a certain group of people that they're automatically our enemy because that's not exactly, it's not always true. Uh, number three, Jesus is amazed by faith. You want to amaze Jesus? Have great faith. 
have great faith. Jesus is amazed by great faith. The only other thing that amazed Jesus was lack of faith. The people in his hometown, Mark chapter 6, the people in his hometown who didn't believe amazed him for their unbelief. So if you want to amaze Jesus, either have a lot of faith or have no faith, right? If you want to amaze Jesus, have a lot of faith. Next key, faith and obedience are two sides of the same coin. Jesus teaches us that faith and obedience are two sides of the same coin. You say, well, what does faith look like? Well, faith is simply trust. Faith is trust. You all, I know you have faith. Because you all got in your car and you drove here today. You had faith that every other driver on the road was going to abide by their, you know, stay in their lane. You trusted that they were going to, you had faith. When you came in, I didn't see anybody check your chair to make sure that all of the screws were in place, right? You had faith in your seat. You just sat right down. You had faith that it was going to hold you up. Um, If at some point a chair doesn't do that, then you're going to start checking some screws, right? But in the meantime, you had faith in the chair. Everybody has faith. Faith is trust. So faith in Jesus is obedience to Jesus. It's trusting Jesus to be true to his word. It's trusting that Jesus wants something for us, not something from us, but that the way to get that is through faith and obedience. And sometimes that doesn't make sense. So if you want to demonstrate great faith, that means be obedient to Jesus even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it seems risky or even when it's uncomfortable or even when it's painful or even when it's costly, it's trusting. That's what faith looks like. Faith looks like being obedient to what he says, trusting what he says, believing that he has our best interests at heart. Because I believe that he does. I don't believe that Jesus asks us to do anything that that doesn't eventually have our best interest at heart. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, and sometimes it's confusing, and sometimes it, it's costly, and sometimes it's painful, but always it's, it's for, our, for our best interest at heart. He, he tells us in John chapter 10, I am come that they might have life and have it to the full. But sometimes achieving that fullness of life comes in a way that we don't expect, and comes by following him in a way that we wouldn't necessarily go ourselves. So faith and obedience are two sides of the same coin, and Jesus is amazed by faith, which means that Jesus is amazed by obedience. If we trust Jesus enough to obey, that's going to amaze him. That's that's the kind of faith that we're looking for. Uh, Next point, sometimes the outsiders get it more than the insiders do. And when that happens, that should, that should get our attention. When, if, if there are outsiders who are demonstrating more, more generosity and, and more love and more compassion and, and are less judgmental than us on the inside, that ought to get our attention, right? This, that's why Luke put this story in here to begin with. It was to get the attention of the people who thought that it was all about them just because they were on the inside. Just because they had gone to synagogue their whole life, and that's not true. Sometimes the outsiders, God uses the outsiders to get our attention, to say, listen, if they're getting it right and they're on the outside, then, you know, shape up. Uh, Finally, this is just one more indication that Jesus' plan is different and bigger than anyone expected. Over and over again in Luke, and we're going to see it more and more in Luke, and we're going to see it as we move into the book of Acts, that, that the plan of Jesus was different than anybody expected. Everybody expected some great, magnificent power play, some you know, military, political overthrow, and, and, and that Jesus is going to conquer the, the Roman Empire by raising up an army, and that's not at all what happened. Well, it's sort of what happened, but the army that he raised up wasn't an army who wielded swords. The, these followers of Jesus, they, they eventually took over the Roman Empire, But they did it without swinging a sword. They did it without a fight. They did it through selfless, self-sacrificial love. It was their love. And we'll talk about this later on. And I've told you before that there was um, 
There was a Roman emperor later on in the Roman Empire who wanted to restore uh, pagan uh, religion to its, to its grandeur. And, and so he's writing to one of his high priests and he says, what is it? Don't we see that it's these Galileans' love and generosity for others that has done the most to further their religion? He understood that this pagan emperor understood that it was the Christians' love that had conquered the empire. It was their generosity towards others. It was their selfless service towards others. So what, what we see here is that Jesus is taking everything that they thought they knew and sometimes that we think that we know about what it means to be a Christian and how to be involved in the political world, and he flips it on its head. He turns it upside down and says, that's not the way that we do it. This is just another indication that Jesus' plan is different and bigger than anyone expected. So what amazes you? What amazes Jesus is faith. Faith looks like obedience. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for preserving this story for us in Scripture. We thank you for the example of Jesus, how he shows us what it means to, to love our enemies, to do good to those who sometimes hate us, to give without expectation of return. Father, thank you for this lesson that we can see that the kind of faith that amazes you is the kind of faith that recognizes your authority over our lives, Father. Help us to be people of amazing faith, people willing to trust you even when it doesn't make sense, even when it hurts, even when it's costly, even when it's confusing. Help us to just trust you. Help us to remember that through it all, you have our best interest at heart, that you really do want what's best for us, and sometimes the path towards what's best is sometimes painful and sometimes confusing, but Father, we do trust you. We trust that you want us to have life and life to the full and that the way to achieve that is to follow the example of your Son wherever he leads. So Father, continue to transform us more and more into the image and likeness of your Son. Help us to be little Christs everywhere we go. Help us to be generous, to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate us without expecting anything in return. Father, thank you for this. Thank you for these people. Protect them, guide them as they go on their way. Help them to shine as lights uh, in their workplaces, in their homes, in their families, in the community. Pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.